Oh, bit. Okay, so Gideon, part two. There are some things that, as humans, we can find difficult to say. Have you noticed that? I have found in my lifetime things which are difficult to say. Um, four things in particular. One, I was wrong. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? Two, I am sorry. Three, I really need help. And four, Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> have you tried saying Worcestershire sauce? Very difficult. Speak to the person next to you and say Worcestershire sauce. I mean, if you're from Worcestershire, it's probably all right. There we go. How did that go? Russo, did your brother pass the Worcestershire sauce test? No? Oh, I didn't think he would. <clears throat> right then. So, second part of Gideon. We're going to look at it. If just a very brief reminder, Julian opened the series up for us last week. We looked at how Israel had fallen into idolatry and had fallen away from God. And they found themselves at the hand of the Midianites, oppressed and crushed. And we see this happening sometimes in the Old Testament to Israel, where they fall away from God and find themselves under oppression. And uh, there's a cry out to God because they're now an oppressed people. And we hear that Gideon is the man, a young man, who is going to be called to lead the nation back into freedom and called by God a mighty warrior. But Gideon is not 100% convinced. If you remember, we looked at a few verses, and he needs some reassurance for his life because he is not convinced. So let's look at a couple of verses just to remind ourselves where we started off. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So there's this dialogue that starts. God is going to strengthen and help Gideon save Israel. But of course, Gideon is looking at himself, and he doesn't feel he has the tools for the job. He just, you know, I'm the... I'm the Weakest in my clan. My clan is the weakest, you know. So we get this kind of mindset and try and get into Gideon's thinking here because this is a big calling. And I think it's a very handy thing that Gideon is in Midian. That's a good one to remember, isn't it? That's very, you know, get a little rhyme in there, like a bit of that to help us with our memories. Gideon is in Midian. So there's this call to, to, to a mission to deliver Israel. And he has to start somewhere. And for all of us in our lives, when there's a call from God, we all have to start somewhere. And here we read that Gideon is very likely to be a younger man, maybe a teenager, you know, talking about being least in the tribe. So here God is building something and growing something into Gideon's thinking because there's these, this vulnerability and insecurity because this is a big calling in his life. And this is a theme for every Christian today. When we start that journey of faith in God and we pray that he would help us in our lives, when we start out, sometimes there can be a little bit of insecurity and just wondering, you know, what God is going to do in my life. But there is this call to grow and to mature and to develop. And from my own personal experience, I have spent my teenage years, I have spent my 20s, I have spent my 30s, and I'm about four weeks away from spending my 40s as well. So those decades have gone, and in that journey and in that time, it's been a lot of trust in God, in, in 
pursuing him all the way. Because at the start, it's a start, but God wants us to go along that journey and get to the end of that calling as well. And in this journey, for all of us, there's an overall mission. When we read the New Testament, how Jesus encourages us to go and make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's this call to mission, to go out there, to be involved in our world, and to help others find faith, and to see them grow. So there's an overall mission that we're called to. But also, in our lives, in our journeys, in the day-to-day, there are tasks. There are thousands of tasks and growth points along the way in our lives. And what we can be encouraged about is every growth part of our lives can be taken on board with Jesus holding our hand all the way in that, that God is with us. Sarah talked a little bit earlier about the peace of God in insecure times, and that is so true and so crucial for us. And the starting point for us is when we're in in faith in Jesus is recognize personal leadership. So Gideon is called to lead a nation in this testing time, But one of the biggest and most difficult challenges any of us can have in our lives is how a personal leadership, how we live our own lives when God calls us. And what are the the tasks and what are the challenges that come our way and how are we going to face them? So continually submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ is so important. It is very, very critical that we do that even in the challenging times. So... What I'm going to look at this morning <clears throat> is from the next few verses is like three kind of standouts for Gideon, all right? So the first one, is it really you, Lord? And that question often crops up, doesn't it? So let's look at the verses here. They'll come on the screen and I'll read through them for us. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon is charged with leading Israel to freedom from the Midianite stranglehold. And there's this promise here, the promise that God will be with him. And when God promises something... That is a solid thing to rely on and to know for our lives. And God is fully involved in the situation. He is not backing off. We recognize you. I will wait for your return when he goes to do his offering, okay, Gideon's offering. And God the Father is fully involved. He is with him every step of the way. For anyone here who has experienced parenthood, I have experienced parenthood. and My children are now fully grown adults, all right? But I can remember going back, and maybe some, some of you may re- kind of recall this kind of thing. One great game to play with your kids is hide and seek. Hide and seek, what a great game to play with your kids. They love it, they love it, okay? You were spending focused time with them, and you got all the drama and the theater of playing hide and seek. And uh, they go off and hide, and, oh, it's all right, dad will count, you know, I'm going to count up to 20. And they go off and hide in one, two, three, so they can hear you counting, and they're all excited when they're looking for a place to hide. And then they, you know, they found a hiding place, and I'm coming, ready or not. Anyone play this game? Give us a show of hands if you play this game. Of course, I'm always a master to play this game. So they go, and they go, and they hide. 
And uh, then you make the drama, don't you? And it's all quiet, but you can hear them getting all excited, and they're rustling around, and you go in each room. Oh, no, they're not in the microwave. They wouldn't be in the microwave. It'd be too warm in there. Oh, they're not in the washing machine. It'd be silly to go in the washing machine, wouldn't it? Because, you know, that's not very good. So not there. Oh, no, they're not in the toilet. That's good, because they haven't got their wellies on. And you can hear them giggling and laughing and hiding. And then you go in the room and the curtains are quivering and their feet are standing out from underneath. Oh, they're not in, well, where could they be? I just don't know. I think I'm going to have to give up. And then they'll jump out and surprise you. That's the textbook game, isn't it? But then after half an hour of playing hide and seek, and you've had your turn and the football's on TV, it is, right then, go and hide. Daddy will come up to 100 this time. Ready? One, two, three, four, five. And the numbers go quieter, so they don't know what number you're on. And they've gone to hide. And then, and come in, ready or not, you stamp your feet on the floor, and then you watch TV for a good five, six, seven minutes with peace. And then you go look for them. That's what you do, isn't it? But that is, that is the fatherhood hack of cheating. All right? What you'd be pleased to know is God is not like that. That was a long story to illustrate something, wasn't it? So, how does, you know, God respond when, you know, we need to go and do something? And here, Gideon goes and he wants to do the offering because he recognizes God is speaking to him. And he says, if I have found favor, give me a sign. And we've all been there, haven't we? Sometimes when God is calling us to do something, we challenge or ask the question, God, is this really you speaking? And we kind of ask God and, and test God in a way. And God sometimes says, well, where are you going now? That is a common theme I find in my life. That God, you know, what are you doing? What are you up to? Where are you heading? Where is that decision taking you? You know, how much of a life break do you need now kind of thing? How much of a, you know, faith break do you need now? So the, sometimes we can get into those seasons, can't we, where we really kind of head off tracks from God. But here Gideon, he was seeing the importance of honoring God, and he goes and makes this offering, okay? And what is interesting, it says in the scriptures here that I will wait until you return. And you sense this patience of God, this understanding of Gideon's situation, and that God would wait for Gideon to do what he needed to do at that time. And Gideon was not getting distracted. He was working through his calling, and he goes and prepares this offering. And for any of us, our beginnings, you know, we've got to accept who we are as people right at the outset, right at the start. We understand that Jesus loves us, that he forgives us. We turn for our sins, that, you know, he is continually daily forgiving us, forgiving us, forgiving us. And as people, we look to develop. And there are many in the Bible where big mistakes are made, but people still go on and fulfill the call of God in their lives. So here Gideon is a young farmer, but he's set to deliver Israel from Midian. We remember Jacob, a deceiver in a way, but he was called to father the Israelite nation. If you remember, he had this thing where he kind of superseded his brother's call. And then Joseph, the slave dreamer, called to save his family, to become prime minister in Egypt, and to save thousands of people during difficult times. Moses, 
the murderer who ended up leading Israel out of Egyptian bondage, the mistakes made in his life, yet there was a lifetime to live, and he was much older when he was called to do what God had called him to do. And there is this outplaying and outworking in a whole lifetime where mistakes can be made and tough mistakes as well, but there is always hope, there's always a way forward in God and in God's security and love. David, a young shepherd boy, learned to love God out in the fields, shepherding, becomes the greatest king. Esther, the slave girl, here and there to save her people from massacre. Peter, the fisherman, a called apostle, leader of the early church. And what is our story today? Where do we start? Where are we starting out from? What are we called to? Many of us may be beginning a journey of faith. Many of us are a long way down the tracks, and we're all outworking this calling in life. So to identify the call of God in our lives and to follow it through daily is a, it's a discipline and something where we can trust God in as well. And Gideon was showing this during this encounter with God. So the next bit of the passage here is the meeting with the Lord, okay? So let's have a look at these verses together. I'll read through them. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast, put in a meat in a basket, and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth, and Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it stands in a couple of places which I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to leave that there. <laughs> you can do that, can't you? You know, sometimes you've got to, you know, have a little sidetrack. So Gideon goes and prepares his offering. And it would have taken a bit of time, but the Lord is waiting for him. He goes to prepare the bread and the meat, and I suppose you have to catch the young goat as well. You know, if we were, you know, went to go out and catch a goat, where would you start? Anyway, I'm sure he was used to it. So it would have taken all a bit of time. The process would have taken a bit of time. And he made the bread without yeast. So that was a bit of a time saver, I guess. But the angel of the Lord instructs him. And there's a miraculous sign that takes place. And the offering is burnt up. And then the angel of the Lord disappears. Well, it's commonly understood that the appearance of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is pre-incarnate Jesus pre-incarnate Jesus, and there are instances in the Old Testament, if ever you wanted to do a concise study of angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you will see some instances. Well, here's a couple of examples. The angel of the Lord appears to Hagar when she's running away from Sarai, and the angel of the Lord tells her, you know, she'll be pregnant with a boy, his name will be Ish Ishmael, etc., 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 and um, she says and identifies uh, the angel of the Lord as the God who sees. So sees that it's God, the God who sees our situation. He sees what's going on in our lives. He sees these things. We, you know, serve and love the God who sees us. 
And then Genesis 22, he appears to Abraham. And if you remember, he was, uh, Abraham was called to take Isaac to sacrifice his own son. But of course, God stops it. But he was just seeing how Abraham's faithfulness would unpack and, and um, work out. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, don't harm your son. God saw Abraham's faith and trust by not withholding his son. And instead, the, you know, he caught a ram caught in the thicket and used the ram as a burnt offering. And that place was called the Lord will provide. So God sees it and he understands, not withholding his son here. And of course, this represents Jesus who was to come to earth in human form, fully God, but to be sacrificed for humankind, but brought to life again through the resurrection of Jesus. The Lord will provide. And then another example, which is the last one I'll mention, from Exodus 3, is where the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a flame. Remember the burning bush, that big one, and the call to Moses? The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. There's also the prophet Balaam, when the angel of the Lord speaks to Israel, to Manoah and his wife, and there are a few examples. Okay, we won't go through them all today. So for Gideon, he realizes that this is the angel of the Lord speaking. And he's seen him now face to face. And he becomes fearful because... Because in Israel, people believe that you could not see God face to, to face and live. But of course, this is the angel of the Lord, okay? And we read these verses back from Exodus 33, where we get this understanding of why um, Israel felt like that, okay? And these are the verses that um, Moses said, okay? So, then Moses said, now show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of, in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So this is Israel's understanding of not being able to see God face to face, but knowing his glory. And I love those verses where God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Two critical things for us as God's people to recognize in our lives. Those are big things, especially when we're hurting, especially when things are, are difficult, is to have mercy and to have compassion. And these are godly things. So here, so Gideon has seen the angel of the Lord. And the Lord says to him, be at peace. You will not die. And Gideon builds an altar there, which represents the Lord is peace. So there's two things here. The angel of the Lord waits. And he has patience as Gideon goes to do his thing. And the angel of the Lord provides this miracle. And he does not come to strike fear into Gideon, but to bring trust and to bring peace. And here, we can recognize the heart of, of Gideon as he's before God. And he recognizes the Lord is peace. And that is something special. Like today, in all days, as we face the many things going on in our globe, is to know the Lord is peace. And the Lord wants peace. And as people... That is our heart as well, is we want peace. So Gideon became fearful, and the Lord says, be at peace. 
but we too can experience fear, to experience worry, to fear anxious thoughts. We can be robbed of peace. And Gideon, if you can imagine, he would be possibly overwhelmed. I think I would be going to have to, you know, go and deliver Israel from this time and situation. And possibly overwhelmed and thought he'd die in a situation. And for us, we can be overwhelmed and fearful of the future. But what do we do in those instances? Well, we remind ourselves of the peace of God, who God is, God is love, the call that he's given each of us for our lives. And sometimes it's good to pray, I find. It's good to pray. Now, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but do you ever have like a bad day and you don't know why that has happened? Like the physical things like hungry or tired. You know, I know that if those things have happened, I know what like, can possibly put me in like a not fun mood because like 99% I'm very fun, you know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I was having one of these days where it was like, I don't know, probably eight o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, I felt heavy, I felt burdened. I knew I was tired, and I knew that I hadn't had breakfast yet, and that's, that's fine, you know, I get that. But I just thought, like, I just need to do something, I need to stop here, and what I did, I put my log burner on, I'm very fortunate to have a log burner in my house. That's not me, by the way, I haven't got my Christmas socks on yet. So I'm sitting down in front of the log burner, got it all lit, nice and warm, just sat down on the little stool I got right in front of the fire, closed my eyes, put my hands out, tried not to burn because it was warm, but I could feel the heat soaking into my face, into my body, and I just started speaking to God. I said, Lord, I know there's things going on at the moment, and I just went through them one by one, just thanking God for his faithfulness, thanking God for his peace, thanking God that in the big picture, he is one of faithfulness and goodness, and mercy, and you just start to offload these things, and I went through all the things which were cropping up, which on my mind, oh, I didn't realize that was on my mind, and I give that to God, and I didn't realize that the stress one of my family members was under was playing on my mind as well, and I was praying to God about that, and then there was a couple of tasks that I needed to do in the coming days, and because they weren't done yet, I was, I was feeling a bit like uptight and stressful, and I started talking to God about that. And as I was going, I didn't realize it was like four, five, six, seven things which were like in there, you know, messing with my thinking. Now, I don't know if ever you get days like that. I hope I'm not just the only one. And there are many friends amongst us who get days and times like that. But boy, I must say that literally after praying and spending that downtime and stopping from the routine, that God was really at work and doing something within, you know, in the depths of your being, in the depths of my being. So it's good to stop, to cast off the burdens, to hand over to God, to wait until we find peace and trust for the future. In Psalm 46, verse 10, we're reminded to be still and to know God, to be still and to know God. And that can be a discipline at times. Because, you know, we're busy doing things and getting the job done and all the other little tasks that come along. But being still and knowing God is such a great truth and such a great instruction to us as human beings because God knows us and he does want to speak into the very depths of our beings. So Gideon, as a young man, was seeking to do the right thing before the Lord. And in doing the right thing, we often find peace in our lives. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4. 
We may ascend the mountain of the Lord. Sorry, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who trusts not in an idol or swear by a false god. And that psalm written by David, who was like a little bit of time after Gideon's time. You know, the judges were like 400 years long, etc. And then we come to the kings. And of course, David, a great king, writing and penning these words. There is this tracking of knowing the peace of God, of not pursuing idols, but knowing the goodness and the grace and the kindness of God. And, you know, to continue in our lives, to have clean hands and a pure heart, and that takes action because we're in the real world and our hands get dirty and our hearts get cluttered. But there's this call to God to know his peace, to know his security, and to pursue him. So just like Gideon then, let's choose to prepare just like he chose to prepare his offering to the Lord, we too can prepare to use our lives as an offering to the Lord. And just last week, Julian used some of these verses from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we can respond in a realistic way. Maybe God is not calling us to you know, deliver a nation from something or other, but each of us will have a call to belong to him, to belong to church, to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So however that works out in each of our lives, that is true and proper worship as it's described here. So be encouraged this morning. Every one of us who has a life, who has a calling, and we all have a calling, we can achieve and do those things in the light of God's love and grace. And this isn't like an achievement. I've got a certificate. I've got a badge on my arm. Pleasing God, being obedient to him, is, you know, that is, to me is a good thing. And we don't need a certificate for it. And we don't need a badge for it. But it's a good thing to do, to follow God, to live our lives in worship to him, a living sacrifice, a living worship, a proper, true uh, worship. And we can all partake in that. So let's be encouraged by Gideon. Okay, so the next bit, just moving on. And this is the last point. And I shall read the verses for us. You ready for it? I got a bit of a dry throat, so I'm just a quick drink. Sorry, cut that out on live stream. Oh, no, you can't. Sorry. Can you? No. Right. So, Judges 6, 25 to 32. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. And cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And in the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die. Because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal, Baal's cause? <laughs> Can't pronounce this. 
Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. And if Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Baal is a double L, isn't it? Not a double A. Okay, anyway. So God calls Gideon to be Israel's deliverer. And the first job he gets to do is to tear down the altar of the pagan god. Now, that's a bit of a first job, isn't it? As a young man, you can imagine, you know, the, the strain of that, and he decides to do it at night. So what we've got to think about here is the whole community, his own family, are serving this god. So not only is um, Gideon setting aside his obedience to the Lord, he is now going against everything that his community and his family and his, the people are all worshipping and following, and he is standing against that, and he's called to do this. So he goes at night to, to bring down the Asherah pole and mess up the, um, the idolatrous altar. And it was a proven thing that it was dangerous because they all wanted to kill him and they found out. But here his dad steps in from the immediate threat and he kind of sways people by saying, well, let, you know, Baal, Baal, whatever his name is, sort it out. Well, of course, that's not going to happen, is it? Because he's, you know, not a yell. Anyway, so moving on, there's this confliction. Baal worship versus doing God's will. So he was known as the God of the storms and the rains. This is Baal, not God. <laughs> God of storms and rains, vegetation and agriculture. And the Ashtoreth um, God was the mother goddess of war, love, and fertility. And the Asherah pole was there to, to kind of worship um, that. And the community would um, practice temple prostitution and child sacrifice as part of worshiping these gods. Not really a healthy part of um, social life, is it, or the community to be doing things like that. But we can see the huge, you know, opposition from living a life before God and honoring him with, with our lives to falling like to idolatry, turn our backs on God and pursuing this like evil, wrong way. And that's why we see the importance here. You know, God is going to do something about it. So Israel had abandoned their faith and worship of God, and they'd fallen into this idolatry, into their neighbor's gods, swayed by the pressure of others. So we can see how crucial it was for Israel to return to worshiping God and turning from these evil ways. This is a critical time. And it is a young Gideon who is called upon to face the danger and to entrust God and have courage. So what lessons can we glean here? Well, thankfully, Baal and Astoreth aren't around anymore. And the worshipping of them was, is not a good thing. Clearly dodgy. But for us, you know, what are, the, what are the things that we could find as being idolatry in our lives? And I think we can all think of ourselves as things that we focus our thinking on, our lives around. When we look at idolatry, what does it mean? Well, it means extreme ad admiration for love or reverence for something or someone. You know, what are the things that can draw us sometimes in the world that we live in that pull us away from our obedience 
and pursuit and, and, no, and relationship with God. What are those things? And it can be different for all of us. One thing I find interesting and my personal viewpoint is I see like time in our life. Time is valuable, isn't it? In, in a busy paced life and the many things that we can put our hand to. There are some great things to just enjoy in our lives for our very own well-being. Eating. Some like to prepare food. Some like to eat food. I'm on the, on the other side of that, eating the food, not preparing it. Exercising. I love sports. I love, you know, hobbies, things we get into. All good for our well-being. Rest and recuperation. Re- uh, rest. Just having a time off, you know, to, to, to just, you know, pl- replenish ourselves and have that time. Work and careers to serve others, to enjoy and glorify God in it. To have that wonderful balance all good things. But what I find living today and the challenge that can sometimes be upon myself, and I know for others here maybe, is those things can become the focus. You know, our rest, our, you know, take it easy, the things that are, you know, easy to do and enjoy and to pursue in our lives. That can sometimes be a challenge that we go for those things and the, like, the obedience to God and the, you know, the sacrifice that sometimes God calls us to make, we kind of sidetrack that because we're too busy, you know, well, my life, you know, I need to be rested, I need to enjoy, I need to be eaten, you know, and all that, which is all good, of course it is. But there is this danger in our day and age that that can become like our total focus and God is put aside, our church family is put aside, the call of God upon our lives are put aside and we're not prepared to do this living sacrifice anymore or to use our lives to worship him. And that is a challenge, I dare say. So Gideon made a stand against what the crowd were doing and it was not popular and it was not pretty. In fact, it was very dangerous for him. So what in closing are the lessons from Gideon? Well, first of all, obedience and faithfulness. As we're obedient and faithful to God, we're trusted and entrusted with more responsibility in our lives, and that's a good thing. That our God-given abilities can be expanded and used. Be reassured this morning that each of us have God-given abilities, and they can be used to serve God and to bless Him and those around us. And God uses us despite our limitations and failures. Anyone feel they've got limitations here? Anyone feel they've failed in certain things? Well, be very pleased to know God still wants to bless you and use you and bless your life and to give you heart and to give you hope and to get over those difficult times and situations. And even though they may exist for a season or can exist for a long time, God is still at work. Be faithful. Trust him for our futures. So, just to summarize, identify the call of God in our lives and follow through daily with it. Live in faith and righteousness of Christ and be encouraged to offer our lives as a living sacrifice and cultivate a life of obedience and faithfulness as God entrusts us with responsibilities despite of what, of what we feel our limitations or failures are. So let's close our eyes and I'll um, pray uh, to to finish the talk.
Yes, so we thank you for the life of Gideon. To see a young man working through his life and his call. And for each of us, Lord, we recognize in that, in the challenges, in the insecurities. We recognize those things, Lord, because we're, we're human beings, Lord, and you made us and shaped us and formed us. And this morning, Lord, we have open and vulnerable hearts to you, Lord. And we look to do those things, Lord, which are good things in you, Lord. To focus on, you know, faithfulness and your goodness in our lives, Lord. And help us each step of the way in the journey, Lord. No matter what part of the journey we're in at the moment, that your call upon our lives is a good thing. And one we can fully look forward to, Lord, as we come to serve you and know your peace in our lives. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.